It's Macintosh My Darling, Chapter 47, Part 2. What could he do for that old bloomy girl when she was dead? What elegy could he write or in what way commemorate that which surpassed not only his memory but his intuitional life? His life depended not upon it, maybe. He had sought for answers and had found only questions. He had asked of every dead heart that had found only whispers. Sobbing forever loved. Who was he to restore that which was so plainly forgotten? He might wear a white rose in memory of her. That was the white rose which he had always worn along with a wraith-like spray of maiden hair, as one who was not yet initiated into life, it seemed to him, and might die before he experienced life. He might lift his hat from which flew an armada of white peacock butterflies, all astonished with him as they flew past his eyes. For how many souls could he lose? And were they the same souls, or were they different souls gliding past him? Or did he lose the same souls many times? He might fly his mournful flag, he might tap at his king, thinking of the white lady veiled by white, the black knight, thinking of the immortal loves as if they were mortal too. For the immortal should exist only through mortality, only mortality should endure. And had she not missed mortality by passing it like a comet which never reached this earth, yet lighting these trembling windows with its passing light? Some might think it was the light of an old train passing his windows, but it was a comet cast its pale gold upon the sleeper's eyes, Mr. Spitzerman. Might throw old seashells back into the dwarf tide of that tide, which was the magnitude of all tides flowing together now. Say to some old seashell whispering as he whispered, the music of the sea whispering, the wind bugling through his cape. Depart, depart, be utterly polarized, leave no momentum memory of her where the pearly combers roll. Where the mountains rise with billows and peaks and billows to the moon, with its white horn, the clouded star. Sail on, sail on until thou hast reached some other shore or earth locks. I sail going down, going down in dusty foam. He is fine as setting. Drift from pole to pole. Let the hourglass be reversed. Or let the constellations fly like birds. Be utterly of water and cloud. Thine image lost as the boatman was bark when it was covered by the flood. But though acting often only through his somnolence and inactivity, his patient waiting, Mr. Spitzer could do nothing so foolish as to throw upon the tide that which the tide swept over in its own due time, as over the dead cities, as over the towers and cupolas and spires and mother of pearl turrets and roofs, mosaic emperors, as over the skulls of the dead where the fireflies gleamed, and were reflected on the flood like the last gleams of consciousness. Where the thin waves advance with long ripples, eddies, retardations. Doubtless to a small creature this minor flood might seem like an invasion, though only rippling at Mr. Spitzer's feet. He had scarcely known what to do for her. He had scarcely known what to do for her or some old steeplejack knocked off the steeple by a pigeon's glistening wing. Some old anchorite never anchored, or mountains sailing like the schooners through rippling clouds, lifting their white sails, had nothing out neither to shrink nor to expand. Neither to flow nor to unflow, neither to remember nor to forget, neither to stay nor to depart. He had not known whether to say goodbye or good morning. It was all he could do, obviously, to navigate himself by his windy cape, his fine scarf with its long silk fringes, his cane like his oar with which he cut away the tangled holy grass. And many times he had been lost, so many times that it seemed to him he was perpetually lost. Yet though it was only through such loss that he could ever hope to redeem and find himself, so like himself in his dead heart that he would recognize him, perhaps the moment of his own unimaginable death. 
And as a matter of fact, Mr. Spitzer had perhaps passed beyond that necessity, being where his dead brother was. Mr. Spitzer had forgotten at what hour his necessity had ceased, all clocks tolling together with inaccurate accuracy in distant clouds, and after that had been no time. So much had happened since then, sometimes outside his consciousness when he was lost like a glass-backed fly between the cloud banks and the cloud banks. Stars over him, under him. He had forgotten when he had found that never could he drop anchor in a quiet harbor, that the old planks were swept over by long-tongued waves, that the wharf sailed as this world sailed during the night, for waters crept over the low portals of his house, and through his low door and through the broken window lighted by a storm lamp casting pretty lights like showers of sequins and over his bed, the iron cot, and over the golden cradle strung by harp strings quivering as with the celestial infant's cries, and he awakened ever in the heart of creation storm, not knowing how long he slept or if he had awakened in the dying light of dawn, the fog so heavy that this was his nocturne, his elegy, he would not live to hear its conclusion. So how should he judge another's life or death at no duration of one moment of time, especially if there was timelessness in the heart of time, even as there was death in the heart of life. If time was but a human artifice like moons and suns and stars, themed to him with his black cape eclipsing moons, semi-moons, quarter-moons, for his were subterranean memories seldom coming to the surface of life, all images being blurred and all forms flowing into each other, like fishes turning into flowers, flowers turning into keyholes, flowers turning into birds, all walls being permeable with sands through which the waters flowed, sands like the thinnest shell of earth over the waves, and that great suffragette had lived no doubt at windy altitudes, heights from which would there drop no plummet blind to reach this falling star. Those great alpine ranges she had said were rising from her heart, rising above the meadows of wildflowers where old knights had left their chalices, rising above a cloud line where none might ever see her face or know who she was. There were no bees buzzing in that snowstorm. Death was the shrouded mystery, it seemed to him, this veil of gossamer which none should lift for fear of tearing the veil, so none should ever know. Was she the bridegroom? Was she the bride? Or had she passed to where no lover ever was, where no image ever was repeating in the waters or in the clouds, where not even Mr. Spitzer could find her, he being lost, wandering without purpose? If he knew not where or who he was, how should he know him? It was no realm of purpose where he lived. Disorientation seemed his fate perhaps more beautiful than purpose which had been a finite. Sometimes, perhaps, because of the heavy fog, he seemed to be walking simultaneously on many roads. Obviously, she had fooled her followers in many ways during her tempestuous life. So why not in her death, which wrote no fini to her great event, Mr. Spister asked with the salt of the sea upon his mouth, as he heard the sighing cordages of a distant boat, distant shrouds unfurling rippling beyond the third sailor moon. The moon sank beneath the waves, sank with a long-lived white bird. Perhaps death had come at the moment of creation. Perhaps there had been no time between the love and the death. And by extension, perhaps there had been no time between the death and the love. Ah, oh, how Mr. Spitzer dreamed of these simultaneities, like great climaxes coming together, roaring to the clouds, simultaneities of time with time, of love with love. He dreamed that all watering places should be one watering place. Sometimes he even dreamed that his death would be his brother's death. And this possibility astonished him, filling him with awe, and he was filled with forlorn misgivings, such as of one who had already lived beyond his death, perhaps upon a narrow margin of crumbling ledge. Yet was not his death impossible? He asked of sun and moon and stars, when should he be gone, leaving no memory of him, no residue, not even this blowing dust. The wind had blown, and the white rose had withered, and the old stars had grown smaller and thinner and warped, floating like sand grains in the hourglass, the trembling heavens. There had been scarcely a ripple when his great captain sank in clouded depths, 
scarcely a crest of foam dissolving as the great breakers swept over her, pounding like long-maned wild horses, dragging her down from her high pinnacle of foam or snow or star, for she was like a drowner whom none could reach, one reached by no wavering lighthouse beam, and there was no savior upon these waters, no fisherman in his boat, none netting moons and suns and stars and golden guineas sinking beneath the waves, none to bring her in as the fisherman brings the fish, and this great crusader shell had sunk beneath the rising waves, waves hissing, falling like cascades. She went down with none to uphold her, much like one who, who was drowned in love. A faceless being floating on the waves at dawn, staring with lidless eyes at the dark clouds, one abandoned by her lover when she went down, Mr. Spitzer thought. Drowning and love were ever the same, the waters of creation rising and falling. All who died, and it always seemed to him, died of love even when there was no lover, none to rescue them when she was locked in her legs and grace. Death was her love. Death was that dark lover who drew her down, and when should she arise upon the wave arising to the cloud? When should she unfurl her sail? Had she not died before, perhaps long ago, she was dying now? Mr. Spitzer, remembering his twin brother, had ever held that death is not unique, not solitary, not that which comes but once in life and leaves no sign. Death left the white rose, the white bird, the clouded star. Death was ever this dying love. If it were not dying, it would not be love, but would be death complete and absolute. For transience was this beauty breaking like foam upon the star, breaking like foam upon the figurehead, upon the prow, upon the leaf. Death was like this dipping sail upon a far horizon, this dragging sail. Death was his moment of rapture forever prolonged. Only the mourner lived longer than love, lived only the mourn to reproach, to sorrow, even like Mr. Spitzer mourning for his love, yet well knowing that there would be none to mourn for him, none to write his music when he was no more. Death existed in dying memory. So he could write no music which would cease, no silence which would not whisper. Sea roared when she departed. Salt water swept over old trees, leaning tideward, old porches crumbling into moon-colored sand, broken pillars. Tide skirted this barren shore when she was gone. Ripples broke with great billows blown up by wind upon the thin-lipped rock of the narrow shelf. Planetary wheel turned through foam and mist, casting great surf like starlight upon the face of the sleeper. The ruts deepened in old roads, which had once been the thinnest lines through clouds. Roads no traveler had ever traveled, where none travel now where there were only shadows blown by whistling wind. Old lamplighters lifted once more their dimming lights, and there were blurred harbor lights like lights under water, and there were lights like nets reaching through clouded heavens as Mr. Spitzer watched, wondering what fisherman in his dark boat was signing the waves with those nets so widely meshed that some stars escaped, even like butterflies lifting their white sails in the gray fog. The music of the sea whispered to dead sea shells as Mr. Spitzer whispered, wondering who the great composer was if it was not himself with his dead heart, thinking that there was music written never to be played, music written to be contained in an obscure box or coffin of sound, music for which there was no vehicle or instrument, no sounding board, no flying kite to explore the void, no trembling string, no harness bell, no carriage, music so intricate that many notes should fly away like blackbirds from windy balls, and many tones were lost, and many chords were blurred, and many keys were melted, silver keys melting with lead and gold, music so complex and complicated, and not even the greatest instrumentalist could catch all its nuances like the assembling clouds. Like starlight scraping on sand, or the pumice stone of his heart so light, that it was made almost entirely cavity. Music like music heard underwater, music which should include if it were complete, but no music ever was. For if music was complete, then it was not, not music, but even dirge. Papery stars whispering in timelessness and autumn leaves, almost transparent, blown upon the wings of heaven, forever down all streets like particles of Mr. Spitzer's sight.
body and soul, music which will include door slamming and whirling multiform snowflakes. Snowflakes like roses, cartwheels, moths, stars, snowflakes at the water rippling edge. Plaintive music of fiddler crowd and music of leaping fire. Music of smoke fog, neighing horses wind like wild swans. Music of chimneys and phaeton seashells and lintel traps like winding stairways reaching from heaven, lighted by fish fins to earth. Music of time moving through space and catching all music. Time moving as music moved and returning on itself, yet not returning. Music along departed tides, tides coming out again, but coming when Mr. Spitzer is no more. Music of wind blowing through Mr. Spitzer's black rippling cloak like a great skirt blowing as he walked and dying. Music of the dying tide. Music which should include the silent whirlpool. Music which should include the music of the silence, the dead heart. Music should include the lost musician with the withered string and the unuttered word. Perhaps Mr. Spitzer is sought for those analogies which never were. Perhaps there is music for which there was no rooster's crow. There is music for which there was no hen's cackle. There is music for which there was no rooster cackling and there was no loon crowing. Perhaps beyond the wildest tempest the sound breaking like discord on his ears, which were attuned to silences to love, beyond the crying winds the world and rooster weather veins and palpitations of dying stars, beyond the loudly pounding mosibos, there was that music which none had heard, even like Mr. Spitzer's music, which none had played. Music of the lost creation, music of things unutterable, silence sinking into silence, beauties never born or dying before their birth, which was itself a kind of death, faces which were forever veiled by, as by the clouds. Here the singing of a dead troubadour, who had died for the love of a lady, never waking from her enchanted sleep. Here the pluckings of a lute and the singing the whirlpool and a clap. Here the tinklings of a grand piano with its keyboard breaking like a surf upon some other star. Perhaps that star were human in the world. He saw the mountains rising to clouds, the clouds ascending as when this great suffrage captain died. He still pondered, he's still pondering upon the marriage of the waters with the clouds, the clouds with the stars, the snowflakes with the waters. He's still thinking. Even the greatest king has been an ebony snowflake falling, melted upon these waves. And Mr. Spitzer not heard snowflakes whispering human voices, a snowflake whispering in the dark wind as it fell. I am the king, a snowflake falling as it fell, with long spirals between the clouds and the waves. I am the clown in the peaked hood. I am the queen. I am the great Shah of Persia who perished ten thousand moons ago, moons ago, was slain by my love. I am the Ethiop. I am the skull-faced coachman, albeit the fat belly. The atlas moth contained its spirit in the cloud, the phoenix brain, the horse, the centaur, one head of the centaur, the rose fading upon these waters, the king with many crowns, crowns of rippling gold. Perhaps when this great lady died upon her old tent bed so rickety in the wind, camping us but for a single night, never would she have died if she had not pitched her tent. If she had not stayed her journey, she was wedded to her true love and found her body and her spirit, her husband or her wife, and the wound of creation was healed, and the great abyss was closed, and there was that harmony, such as never, such as had never been heard. But Mr. Spitzer, sadly doffing his black hat with his black mourner's band, which reminded him of the headgear of an alderman, doubted that she had ever found her love, that image which had already faded like a star faded at dawn. Doubted that the grave should contain one who had been ambiguous and never easily defined the spirit or in body or in soul, indivisible dreams or indivisible death. For he was the alderman of no ward, lawyer of no court, neither higher nor lower court. Court paid not with flagstones of silver and gold as the light shifted, representative of no client, viceroy of no territory, king of no realm, emperor of no crown. He knew not which streets he walked, which windy, windy corners he turned. Often he found himself in attended at funerals of people he had only heard of, or had never known. He would, after the coffin lid was closed, or if he came when it was still open, he was afraid to look at the corpse. 